Well, this is the last week of our Battle Tested series. And let me just say, if this is your first week, hello. And uh, <laughs> let me just say, you are jumping in the deep end. I hope you'll take an opportunity to go online, listen to this series. You can download the app and listen to it. But over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the strategy of Satan in the life of the Christian, how he wants to trip us up, how he wants to defeat us, how he would love nothing more than to take us into bondage in certain areas of our life. But this weekend, we're going to switch gears. I want to wrap up the series by talking about the strategy of the Christian. I want to talk about how we can go on the offensive and how we can be victorious. I want to talk about how we not only can be set free, we can stay free from Satan's influence in our life. And man, I've got a lot to talk about over the next few minutes. So we're just going to jump in. If you have your Bible this weekend, Luke chapter 15, if you don't have your Bible, we're going to put the verses up on the screen. I want to begin by giving you four keys to being free, four keys to being free. You can see all four of these in the story of the prodigal son. Let me just read the story to you. Uh, Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, Jesus continues and he's continuing. He's got a little trilogy of parables going on here. He's already talked about the lost sheep. And then he talked about the lost coin. And now Jesus talks about the lost son. And he says in verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Just remember that statement. Not long after that, the younger son got together. <clears throat> All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. They always say, wine, women, and song, and if you're running short on money, quit singing. Okay, that's, that's what this guy's doing right here. So he squandered his money on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent, his, him, to the, his, sent him to the, his field to feed pigs. Now understand, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience, so you can imagine the gasp when he talked about this, this young man feeding the pigs. And it says in verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And my guess is at some point, in this experience, he probably leaned back against a fence post that surrounded that pig pen, and I'm sure he had this thought, how in the world did I ever end up here? You ever had that thought? I mean, you look back on your life and it was so promising and you could see the trajectory, and then all of a sudden you thought one day, how in the world did I ever get here? That's what's going on in this young man's life, but I love verse 17 of Luke chapter 15. It says, when he came to his senses. Let me give you the first key to being free from Satan's influence in your life is you've got to recognize you need help. When he came to his senses, another way of saying that would be when he realized that he needed help. Let me say this again. The only people who cannot get out of bondage in their spiritual life, the only people who can't get free are the people who refuse to admit that they have a problem. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this this weekend. We've talked a lot about it in this series, but if you're in bondage, if you feel like Satan has a stronghold in your life, if you feel like there's something, you confess it and you confess it and confess it, but no matter how many times you confess it, you can't break this stronghold, this sin in your life, you need help. That's the first key to being free. Second key to being free, you gotta repent to God and others. Repent to God and others. Notice what it says in verse 18. I will set out, go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. In other words, I have sinned against God, but not only have I sinned against God, I have sinned against you. By the way, these words, repentance and confession, they're, they're not the same. We use them interchangeably. 
but they're not the same. Repentance would certainly include confession. But the reality is you can confess and not repent. In other words, you can say, I did it, I'm sorry, but not really repent. Let me explain to you why I say that. This word repentance in the Greek is metanoia. It comes from two Greek words, meta, which means change. We get our, our, we get our, our word metamorphosis from it. And it comes from noia, which means mind. So you put it together and to repent simply means you change your mind. You change your mind. And we've used the illustration that, you know, you're going in this direction with your life and you realize it's the wrong direction and you do a 180 and you decide to go back in this direction. Let me tell you something. As Christians, we never stop repenting. We should never stop changing our mind about our life and what God has called us to be. This is process, part of the process of having our minds renewed. But when you repent, you change your mind. That's repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry. So you've had a teenager? You know what that's like, right? I'm sorry, but you know there's no repentance. You know they still disagree with you. Basically, they're sorry they got caught. When you repent, you change your mind about your actions. You change your mind about what you're doing. You change your mind about your behavior. That's what's happening in this story. And let me just tell you something. If you're going to be free from bondage, it is going to require repentance. You're going to need to repent to God. And maybe you're going to have to change your mind about God. See, some of you see God as the big bully sitting on the throne up in the sky who's just up there to take all the fun out of life, just waiting for you to mess up so he can bop you on the head with a club. Part of repenting is beginning to see a heavenly father who is head over heels in love with you and who wants nothing but what is best for you. But at the same time, you've got to repent about your sin. You've got to repent to God. But here's the real key. You need to repent to the people in your life that you've sinned against, that you've hurt that you've offended. This young man said, yeah, I sinned against God, Father, but let's not kid ourselves. I've also sinned against you. Let me just show you a verse about how important it is that we make things right with the people in our life that we've hurt so that we can now be right with God. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 says, therefore, if you were offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you're worshiping, maybe it's during a great a, a song, maybe it's during communion, wherever it is, if you're worshiping, and you remember that you've offended someone, leave your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you. He was just a, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This is what God is saying. If you wanna get right with me, get right with the person you offended first, and then come back and make it right with me. James wrote a little book, by the way, James was the half-brother of Jesus who didn't become a follower until after the resurrection, it would make sense. How many people would admit that their brother was God, right? So James wrote this little book, and this is what James says in James 5, 16. He says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It's interesting, the Greek word for healed means to free from errors and sin. So really James is saying this, confess your sins to each other so that you can be free from errors and sin. Now part of that is confessing and having accountability, shedding light on the situation. But think about it, think of an area of your life, this would be the other area. Think of an area of your life where you feel like maybe having gone through this series that you might be in bondage. There might be some bondage in a certain area of your life. How many times have you felt horrible, felt guilty, you've confessed it to God You've said to God, I will never, ever do it again, but then you did it again, which means really you're still in bondage. Repentance means that we confess and we 
repent. In other words, we change our mind about our behavior, not only to God, but to the people that we've sinned against. Now, let me tell you how this was played out in my life through this series. Laura and I have been married 39 years. We have a good marriage. In fact, I think we have a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage because it involves two people, and one of them is me. So it's not going to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But if I could just be honest with you and confess, and I don't think this is really what the verse means that you confess to a congregation, but I would say over the past few months, there's been an area of our marriage where I have not been doing my job as a husband. And Laura's not the kind of person that nags. She's not going to remind me of it every time, but I'm aware of it. She's aware of it. She'll certainly pray for me. But I cannot tell you how many times I wanted to be a better husband in this area. And literally, I would pray to God, and I would confess it, and I would ask God to forgive me and tell him I wanted to be better. I could not get traction. I could not get moving in that area. And no matter, no matter how hard I tried, I just didn't feel the freedom and the peace to, that I was moving in the right direction. So one morning about, I guess I got up about 3.30 in the morning. I have weird sleeping habits. And I came in, I think I was in my office here at the Raleigh campus by about four in the morning. And as I was looking through my Bible and I was working on a message, it was as if God said to me, Mike, I, I, I know you keep confessing to me, but you've never really repented to Laura. And so I waited till the sun came up and I waited till I thought it was safe and that she would be out of bed. And I called her and I said, honey, I, I know that this is probably not the best conversation to have over the phone but I, I feel like I need to have this conversation. I said, you're aware of my struggles and, and you've loved me and you've been encouraging and, and you haven't made me feel guilty and you know that I've been really, really trying to change in this area. And I said, but you know what? I've never repented to you and asked your forgiveness. And I said, so I just wanna tell you, I truly am sorry and I'm changing my mind. I'm doing the 180 so I can be the husband that you married, and of course she forgave me. And I'm gonna tell you something, when I hung up, I was free. And you know what, since that conversation, I've had no challenge whatsoever living up to the expectation that God has called me to. But you know what, I could not get out of my own way till I repented to God, until I repented to her and asked her forgiveness. That's what I'm talking about here. Repent to God, but you know what? If there are people in your life that you've sinned against, that you've offended, that you've let them down, I don't know that you'll get free until you sit down and let them know that you're sorry and ask for their forgiveness. Here's the third key to being free. You gotta renounce the lies of Satan. Let me say something, all bondage begins with a lie. If you're here this weekend and you're in bondage, there's a lie somewhere in your past that you believed. So you've got to renew your mind. Let's go back to our Taking Flight series. How do we renew our minds? We have to identify the lies in our life that have shaped how we've lived our life, that have shaped our behavior, that do not line up with the truth of God's word. We have to remove those lies and replace them with the truth of God's word. And Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, and then the truth will set you free. See, so you've got to renew your mind. You've got to change 
the way you think so you can stop living out the lie. But this is what, let me show you what it says in the story. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became joyful, nope, angry, and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Two lies in verse 29. Here's the first one. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. So we know that's a lie because we know he's not Jesus, right? Nobody's perfect but Jesus. Plus we all have children. And do any of us have perfect children? If you say yes, I'll throw up. None of us have, none of us have perfect children. So this older son says this, I have never disobeyed you. I have never done one thing wrong. That's a lie, but he believes it. The second lie is also in verse 29. You never gave me even a young goat. That's a lie. Let me show you why. I read it earlier. I said, remember it, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. You ever noticed that before? And according to the Bible, being the oldest son, being the firstborn, he actually got twice as much as the younger brother. And so he got two-thirds of the father's inheritance. The younger brother only got one-third of the father's inheritance. But he says, you never even gave me one goat. And you know what this father is thinking. You're right. I never gave you one goat. I gave you two-thirds of the company. I gave you two-thirds of the family wealth. But this is what I want you to see. Even though the older brother never left home, he's probably still going to church. He's probably still showing up for small group. He's still serving in Kid City. He's probably still tithing. He's never gone prodigal. Even though he never left home, I want you to see that he was just as in bondage as his younger brother. He was in bondage to bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and jealousy and envy and hate. He's like, my brother may be home, but I'm not going to the party because dad loves him more. Isn't it amazing how we can believe those lies? You know, one day I was talking to my brother. I have a younger brother that lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was home visiting. And he says, boy, he says, he says Mike, I got to tell you, mom and dad are so proud of you. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, I think you're the favorite. And I laughed. I said, why do you think I'm the favorite? And he said, because when they call me, all they talk about is you. And I said, well, honestly, I thought you were the favorite. Because when I talk to them, all they talk about is the conversation they had with you and how proud they are of you. So both of us believe that the other one was mom and dad's favorite, right? See, that's the kind of lies that as families, as friends, Satan will get us to buy into. And when we buy into those lies, some of you would have to admit it impacts your family, it impacts your life, it impacts your relationship. Let me give you some examples of some of the lies we buy into. I was the oldest child. That's why I always have to be in control. Why don't you just say, I'm a control freak. I got a stronghold. I got a demon of control in my life. Why don't you just say that? Or I'm the youngest child. I always have to have my way. Why don't you just say, I'm a self-centered brat. I got a stronghold of self-centeredness. You know, I was the middle child. I was the neglected one. I was the only child. I grew up in a large family. So you, know, so you, got, and you fill in the blank. Let me tell you something. When you became a Christian, 
You were adopted into a brand new family. It doesn't matter what family you grew up in. Let me tell you who you are now. You're in the family of God. You are a child of God. You were born again by the word of God, kept by the power of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. He's put all things under your feet. He's given you all authority and all power over the enemy. In him, you are more than a conqueror, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That's who you are right now. You got a whole new identity. But if you're gonna be free and live free, you are going to have to renounce the lies of Satan. And I mean this with all the love I can muster. You're gonna have to stop being a victim. Our next series is called Free to Be Me. We've talked about how did God set us free from Satan and his influence. Once he sets us free, what has he set us free to be? What kind of life has he set us free to live. We're going to be talking about that next week, but to get there, you've got to renounce the lies of Satan. Fourth, here's the fourth key. You got to receive the gifts of the father. And this one point could be a series and maybe it will be one day, but let me just quickly go through them. Verse 22, the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Let me just tell you quickly what they represent. The robe represents the robe of righteousness. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Let me tell you something. If you're going to be free, you are going to have to receive the forgiveness and the righteousness of God. You're going to have to understand that your righteousness just simply means this. Your right standing before God comes from God. God, not your own deeds. You don't have a right standing before God because of what you do. You have a right standing before God. You are righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. So you've got to put on the robe of righteousness. Second, the ring represents authority. Think of it this way. If you're familiar with the story of Joseph, when the Pharaoh of Egypt made Joseph prime minister and gave him the power, he gave him the ring of authority, basically saying, whatever he says goes, he represents me. He has the authority. In the very same way Jesus gave us authority, Luke chapter 10, verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions. Now, I would not recommend you go home this weekend, take your shoes off and put that to the test, okay? This is in the context of spiritual warfare, evil spirits, demons. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome, look at this, all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. God has given us the authority. And then the sandals represent power. And it includes the idea of protection. I am gonna do a message on this. Protection, confidence, freedom. Did you know the slaves in the South, before they were emancipated, they used to sing an old spiritual, you know what it was? All God's children got shoes. You know what they were saying? Even as slaves, we're God's children and we're free. So understand the gift of power and protection and confidence and freedom that God gives us is not some thing, okay? It is someone. Acts chapter one, verse eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I wanna focus on this last point. I wanna, by showing you how a psalm and I wanna show you how this psalm addresses this idea of power, protection, confidence, and freedom. And this psalm, I want you to see how it has to do with this battle that we're involved in fighting every day against Satan. In fact, if you have your Bible, flip over there, Psalm 91. As you read Psalm 91, you feel like you're on a battlefield. You feel like the war is raging all around you. But this is what I want you to see, and this is what I wanna leave you with in this series. I want you to see that God is our 
stronghold. God is our refuge. God is our shield. God is our protection in our battle against Satan and the enemy. By the way, we know that our enemy in this battle is Satan because of something the psalmist says in verse 3 of Psalm 91. Surely he, that's a reference to God, will save you from the fowler's snare. If you have a New American Standard, maybe it says the snare of the trapper. But it's, it's a reference to someone who wants to trip you up, someone who wants to trap you, someone who wants to take you into bondage. Understand, this is a reference to Satan. You can see other references to the enemy in his attack. Dropping down to verse 5, you will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrows that fly by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys the midday. Verse 10, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will near your tent. So understand, as we break down Psalm 91, as we unpack it, it's about how we can find protection from the enemy, how we can have power over the enemy, and how we can experience freedom from the enemy. Let me show it to you. The psalmist begins by saying in verse 1, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High. This word dwell is a Hebrew term uh, for this idea of a permanent residence. It's the idea of remaining, abiding, driving your roots down deeply with every intention of staying put. My point is simply this. You will never, ever experience victory over Satan and the enemy until you can learn and practice the techniques of dwelling in the Most High. It's about walking in fellowship with God. It's about living obediently under God's command. It's about living under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about dwelling. It's about relying. It's about drawing our strength and our protection from God. We looked at the verse last weekend, James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. You know what that means? Live under his authority. Live under his authority. Then resist the devil and that devil will flee from you. So the psalmist says in verse one, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This Hebrew word for rest means pass the night. It's the idea of spending the night, but the point he's making is this. When those tempting moments come from Satan, because you're dwelling in the shadow of the Most High, you will be able to pass the night. You will be able to survive the test. You know what that means? There aren't any spooky, weird experiences that you have to go through to get victory over Satan. You don't need to come to my office and we light some sage, you know. You get the holy water out. You know, put my hands on you. Hmm, come out. We don't, have to, we, don't, we don't have to do anything like that. It's nothing like that. It is a simple daily matter of consistent reliance on God and the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me just say this. There's no way around it. First of all, Psalm 91, it is addressed to Christians. In fact, if you're here this weekend, and we're so glad you're here, but I have to tell you, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, you have no defense whatsoever against Satan. I wish I could be like a TV preacher and just tell you whatever you want to hear, whatever makes you feel good, right? It just wouldn't be true. Here's the second thing. If you are a Christian, this isn't saying that you're going to have a perfect life. Doesn't mean you'll never get sick, that you'll never have financial issues, that you'll never lose a job, that you'll never have a child go prodigal on you. It's saying that as long as you dwell, you will be safe in God's shadow of protection. Now, here's the question, and this has come up a lot in this series. What if there's already a stronghold in your life? 
What if Satan already has influence in your life? And we didn't say a lot about this part of it in the series. I think it speaks for itself. But maybe you opened the door by playing around with the things of the occult. Maybe it was something as silly as a Ouija board or you attended a seance or it was fortune telling or just something you did that dabbled in the dark side. Let me just say something here and don't ever, ever forget this. When you venture into enemy territory, regardless of why you're there, maybe you're just curious. Maybe you think it would be fun. Maybe it's something that breaks out at a party and it just seems like something you could do. But whenever you venture into enemy territory, regardless of why you are there, you are in enemy territory. And this is a warning to you I hope you never, ever forget, especially if you're one of those who are just curious by nature. No matter what the reason, when you move into enemy territory, you are going to come under attack because you are in enemy territory. I'm telling you, the Christian is never more foolish than when he or she makes the decision, the conscious decision to play in enemy territory. You are asking for trouble, but it never ceases to amaze me how many Christians have dabbled in some form with the black arts. So maybe in this series you've realized that you've opened the door to Satan, maybe through the black arts, maybe without even realizing it, maybe it was through pride or lust or greed, we talk about that. Maybe it's through continued sin. Maybe it's through one of those emotional bruises that we talked about last weekend that became a stronghold. Let me quickly give you the steps to deliverance, okay? Nothing spooky about this. Every, everybody's gonna have access to one of these sheets as you leave this weekend at all of our campuses. But let me just go through the main points. James 4, 7 says, submit therefore to God, in other words, live under his authority, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the first thing. Open and verbally declare your faith in Jesus Christ. It tells you what that means. Second, destroy every trinket, reminder, and or attachment you have in your possession that is associated with the cult or the satanic system. It could be books, albums, Ouija boards, whatever. It tells you how to do that. Third, confess your sins and claim your deliverance through the power of one, the word of God, Two, the name of Jesus. Three, the blood of Jesus. And four, the cross of Jesus. And there are verses here that you can read and should read as you pray through this. Four, reclaim the ground in your life that the enemy has been allowed to control. And there's a section here that tells you how to take back that territory. And then you close the session with prayer. Now let me just say something about a really cool ministry we have here at Hope. It's called Unhindered, and I've mentioned it several times. But understand, this is a one-on-one -on -one ministry. This is not a class, a small group. This is where someone who has been trained, men and women who have been trained on how to help you find deliverance and freedom, they will sit down with you, and they will work with you and pray with you through these steps. But you got to contact the office. You have to let us help you. Now, let me just say this. We have to be really, really careful because not every attack is demonic. But I personally believe that there are a lot more attacks than we realize that would fall into this category of being demonic in nature. So I would encourage you, keep this near you. You'll be able to get it as you walk out of all of our campus. You may not need it. You may come across someone this week after talking to them, you think, wow, they need this. I recently had a friend here at Hope who got involved in something that opened, and I'm telling you, if anyone ever encountered a demon, and I've known this guy for years, it was him. And these are the steps that he went through. Now, that's how we get free. Let me close, how do we stay free? 
How do we stay free in the last couple of minutes we have? Well, again, all of this is based on us dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. First of all, understand, this is how we stay free. When we're dwelling, first of all, God delivers us from Satan's traps. Let's go back to Psalm 91, verse 3. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare. And as I said in this series, Satan knows how to bait your trap. Satan knows how to entice you. He's been studying you. He knows your weaknesses better than you know your own weakness. Trust me, he's got stronger and smarter and better people than you already stuffed and mounted on his trophy wall, right? But verse 3 says that God is able to save you from the trap, but you got to be dwelling. You got to be living under his authority. Second, God will provide refuge. Verse 4, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. A few years ago, Laura and I got to go to Kauai. And if you've ever been there, there's some reason there's wild chickens living all over the island of Kauai. Everywhere you go, every parking lot, and you'll see these mother hens with the little chicks behind. They're so cute. And if you go up close to them, you know what? Those little chicks will speed up. That mother hen will open her wings. They will go under. She'll shut them right down. It's almost like they disappeared. That's what it's talking about here. In the same way, we can find comfort, we can find refuge in the middle of the battle, in those tough, frightening times that we're going through. But again, you gotta remember, this promise is for the person who is dwelling, it's for the one who is relying constantly on God's strength, living under his authority. And notice that verse four goes on to say, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. It, you could say fortress. Now let's just be honest. We all have weak moments. We all have hours. We all have days of the weeks. We all have, we have situations where we're weaker than at other times. You may be in one of those situations right now. Or maybe for you, it's when you travel and you're in that hotel room all by yourself. Or maybe it's when you're bored. Or you have too much idle time on your hands. I'll never forget when I was a child, I was going somewhere with my dad. My dad's listening right now. And we were in his 64 Impala Chevrolet station wagon. That's a classic right there. And I'll never forget, there was an African-American uh, pastor on the radio. And I'll never, I, I, can, I, can, I can hear it to this day. And I'm still trying to get Pastor Chris down at ship to teach me how to preach like this. But this is what he said. This is what he said. He said, the Bible says, I love it, that an idol mine is the devil's workshop. And then he paused and he said, did the Bible say that or did my mama say that? <laughs> well, it was his mama, but it was right. And maybe that's your time. Maybe it's just you got too much idle time. This verse assures us, even though we're going to have weak moments, God never leaves us alone. He's right there with us. Third, God gives us comfort. Look at verse five. You will not fear. In other words, when you're dwelling in the shelter of God, you don't need to be afraid that of anything that Satan can throw at you. You have all the confidence in the world because you are dwelling. Let me tell you, Satan's trump card is fear. I know, just from talking to you, many of you, this, this, this series has just scared the bejeebies out of you. I mean, some of you, you've been sleeping with the lights on this entire series. But you gotta understand, this verse says that when you dwell, you don't have any reason to be afraid of Satan. What was the song we sang just a minute ago? I'm no longer a slave of fear. Forget that, I'm a child of God. I'm dwelling under the wing of the Almighty, you know. I got all the confidence in the world. Let me tell you something, Satan is our enemy, but he's our defeated enemy. See, Jesus took care of that 
on the cross. So God gives us comfort. And then there's a couple of promises. Let me close when you're dwelling. Here's the first one. God promises assistance from angels. Let me show you something that's so cool. Verse 11, he will command his angels concerning you. This word command means to appoint or install. In other words, God appoints or installs angels in our lives for our protection. Now, the very first week I said Satan got kicked out of heaven. Maybe he was a good angel, but he got kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels because they tried to throw over, overthrow God. It was like a coup, right? And, and it failed, and so God kicked Satan in a third, and they became the evil spirits. This is what I want you to know. For every evil spirit that's out there to get me, there are two good angels fighting for me, okay? That means that the odds are stacked in our favor. In fact, this verse goes on to say that they will guard you in all your ways. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that if you really are dwelling, you have a guardian angel. And having met some of you, I'm sure you have more than one. Some of you have given several mental breakdowns. And I'm, I'm confident of that, right? I mean, we can get ourselves into some of the biggest messes. And so God appoints these guardian angels. Think about this, to watch over us. And what do they do, verse 12? They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's simply poetic language for saying, they're gonna keep you from falling into the trap, falling into the snare. They're gonna keep you away from danger. They're there to protect us. And then lastly, God promised us invincibility. Talk about confidence. Look what he says, verse 14. Because he loves me, you could put your name right there. Because he loves, because God loves Mike Lee, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. I will set him free and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, it never says that he's going to remove us from the battle or the, con the combat. He says, this is what I will do. When you're in the battle, when you're in the middle of the combat, I'm gonna protect you. In other words, with that inner confidence that God is going to give you, you can handle it. You are going to make it. You are going to be victorious. victorious. Now, again, these are all promises that are available to you, but here's the key, guys. You gotta dwell. You gotta dwell. You gotta dwell. You constantly live under the power of the Holy Spirit. You constantly place yourself under the authority of God and his word, you gotta dwell. And when you do, just remember, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Let's bow together. In just a minute, I, I wanna pray over every person at every campus. It's because if, if there's some bondage in your life, don't you wanna be free? I mean, don't you wanna be free? Aren't you sick of feeling defeated and guilty? Don't you want to be free? I think you do. So in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and I'm going to, I'm going to lead those of you who want to be free in a prayer. But before I do that, I just want to take a moment, and I just want to allow God to bring any sin to your mind. Be honest. It's just you and God. Any sin in your mind that may have you in bondage. And you know what, maybe it's been there for years. In fact, it's been there so long you don't even bother confessing it anymore because you know you're gonna turn right around and do it again. He may also bring to your mind 
people that you need to ask forgiveness to. Maybe a big thing, maybe a small thing. With Laura and I, it was not a big thing, it was a small thing, but you know what? It didn't matter. So I want you to take just a second before God, and this is what I want you to say in your heart to God. God, I am sorry, and I repent. I acknowledge that your way is right. I admit that my way is wrong. Now this is what I want you to do. Even if there's not someone that you've sinned against, this is what I want you to do. Confess your sins to one another so that you can be free from the sin, free from the error. I want you to be willing to share it with somebody. Somebody that you trust. Somebody that you look up to. Somebody you would consider an accountability partner. But you got to bring it into the light. I'm telling you, Satan does his best work in the darkness. You got to get it into the light. And I want you to be willing to take advantage of the classes and the ministries that we have that can help you move forward like living free and unhindered, that one-on-one -on -one ministry. But the main thing is you've got to repent. I'm gonna tell you something. I sit up here this weekend free because I repented. So let me just pray over every person who wants to get free. I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up. I just wanna ask everybody to stand up. That way nobody's gonna feel singled out. And if you want to be free this weekend, just pray out loud after me. God, I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. And I ask you to release me from every bondage. In Jesus' name. Let me pray. God, we thank you that we can be set free today by the word of God and by the blood of your son. Father, we take authority over every spirit of bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and hate and malice and envy and jealousy and we command them to go in Jesus' name. We rebuke every spirit of insecurity and inferiority and fear and rejection and self-hate and self-pity and self-destruction and we command them to go in Jesus' name. We rebuke every spirit of anger, and rage, and violence. We command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of sexual immorality, adultery, lust, pornography, all forms of sexual impurity, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of pride, and lying, and deception, and rebellion, and manipulation, and control, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of arrogance and prejudice and racism, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of greed and selfishness and covetousness, selfish ambition, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Depression, anxiety, worry, addiction, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of stealing, slothfulness, laziness, unbelief, rebellion against authority, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of guilt and shame and embarrassment and humiliation, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of witchcraft, the occult, the black arts, we command them to go in Jesus' name. Every demonic spirit that has held us captive, 
we command them to go right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, let it be done. Yeah. Now, before I close, let me just say this. The demons have to go in Jesus' name. I mean, they don't have any choice. But let me tell you what they're going to do while they're leaving. They're saying, I'm not leaving. I'm not going. But trust me, they're going. They have to go in the name of Jesus. It's not our authority. It's the authority of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We pray that every every place that an evil spirit has vacated immediately would be invaded with your spirit. And we praise you and we thank you for what you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. Don't forget to get that chart as you're leaving. Thank you guys for enduring this journey with me. I think we're going to be a better church. Because of it. We'll see you next week as we start our new series. You are dismissed.